Hey everybody, it's Timmy Gibson here with you for another podcast episode that I think you're going to enjoy. It's my conversation with a fellow wedding vendor. Her name is Jessica Pedraza. She's a she's actually done many things, I think, within which you'll hear a little bit about her story, but she runs a venue now in Kansas City here. And we talk a little bit. So there's three parts to this particular conversation that I had with Jessica. First part is kind of the, the frustrations and the heartaches and the headaches of what we've been going through in the wedding industry with this whole COVID lockdown stuff going on. And then we also talk about some solutions and things that we've learned about it and through it. And then we switch gears and go into which is really the main thing of this whole entire podcast, which is finding faith, you know, escaping religion and finding faith. And she kind of tells a little bit of her story of of being raised Catholic and now being just more spiritual. And then lastly, we talk about something that's always a fun topic, and that's aliens and UFOs. So without further ado, sit back, grab a glass of wine, grab yourself, grab yourself a cup of coffee, enjoy my conversation. The one the only Jessica Pedraza. Hello. Hey, Jessica, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really good, actually. I just had a, I'm curious how this little conversation interview is going to go because I ate a brownie from Colorado about 30 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So pretty, pretty soon this conversation can get weird. Yeah, I was going to say that I'll take it right in time for the UFO situation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm uh, glad that you are joining me on my podcast for a conversation about an industry that both of you, both of us are in and what an interesting uh, year it has been for those of us in the wedding industry. So, uh, Jessica, why don't you give a little bit of a, a background for the listeners, a little, little about, about you and how you get got into the wedding industry, exactly what you are doing currently. Um, yeah, yeah, go go for it. Yeah. Um, so I have been in the Kansas City wedding industry specifically for – Oh man, it's probably been about five years now, close to five years. Um, and I, I really started getting into the event industry as a whole because back in college, I was studying child and family development and kind of went through a freak out phase and just like don't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to do it in almost 21 year old would do and decided to just on a whim sign up for the college Disney program and it turned in Florida. And so while I was down there, I discovered a passion for hospitality, absolutely left hating Disney, but really wanted to stay in hospitality. And that's kind of where the event industry really kind of came into play um, in my life. And so Fast forward to being in Kansas City, and I now work at the Union Event Space. <laughs> like That's a real, awesome. A real kind of turn there, but yeah. Yeah, so Union is located where? Um, so we are located at 1721 Baltimore Avenue. So it's ironically about two blocks south of where I most recently worked before this at the oh, Grand nice. 
Yeah. So there's something about the downtown Kansas City area that I really like. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a little event space. Um, it's industrial. It's a really cool building that has a lot of Kansas City history. Um, so it's just really exciting to kind of continue to learn more about Kansas City history while you know we're making, making history of our own now in downtown. Yeah. Yeah, I love that downtown area, and I love the the Union. You know, it's a newer venue. I had not been there until you yeah, gave me really, a, a little mini tour last time I visited. And Yeah, I, it's, it's I really the, cool. The, the company that owns it now, 828 Venues, um, they're, they're one of the few companies that I've met that nationally um, oversees venues all over the country. And so, you know, each venue under the 828 Venue family – you know, it has its own character and its own kind of stamp on the community and the, the metropolitan area that it's in. And Kansas City is is one of the newer ones, is part of that family. So we've really only been open and operating since like late 2018, early 2019. So okay. at that point, when we were opening as a venue at Union, I was still at the Grand College Tower. So okay. I really hadn't even heard of this this new location that much until yeah until i started working here <laughs> yeah i well I, I hadn't either and i'm i'm i would say i'm fairly well you know connected i know what's what's up and who's new and what so forth but man uh you know when i saw it i thought well goodness gracious i can't believe i hadn't heard of it and then when you told me that it was it was so new that made that made so much sense because if if for me um I know of, of course, the what you know the venues that I do weddings in. Sure. Uh, but when a wedding is, or when a venue's new within even a year, usually brides book roughly a year out. I mean, depends. I've had you know yeah. I've had them booked the day of, but typically they're they're six months to a year out. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the delay. I think most venues when they're they're still considered well, new, even if they're a couple years old. It's, that's a really good point. And I was kind of having this conversation with another person in the industry the other day. And, you know, 2020, aside from everything I'm sure we'll get into today, but in just, oh, in 2020 is fascinating. That we've been talking right? about. Yeah. But, but it, aside from that, like in your first, especially as a venue, I can't speak for obviously every, you know, category of, of, in, you know, of our industry as in terms of like businesses and kind of the, business development but when you work at a, a venue you you start to do in a dream world you're able to start doing hard hat tours before you you know are quite finished wrapping up you know the the building and construction of your venue but from there on out you really you really start to focus and you have a lot of downtime as as a business owner and kind of a business starter to really work on the marketing and the advertising and, you know, the back end bit building up your operation systems and, and your client database systems and all of that before you just immediately book into hosting it. And right. funny in terms of, of union has really been almost a godsend, a silver lining, if you will. Miss Polly Polly Positive over here is gonna is gonna call it that. <laughs> And, and kind of show like we we were able to really have a good um, six to eight months run of hosting events before this COVID 
quarantine shut down black cloud over everybody's head kind of hit us. So we were really able to, to kind of get the opportunity to step back, really reevaluate what we were doing right and doing wrong as a venue in our early stages, and then be able to work on that and work on that deeper and jump deeper into marketing and outreach and, you know, our, our client onboarding processes and, and all of that stuff. So it's been, there's definitely been obvious, you know, quarantine woes, but I think that we're going to start out the new year even stronger and more powerful than ever. So yeah, I'm, sure. Sure, I'm sure people will be hearing about us a lot more here soon. Yeah, well, for sure. I know that we're uh, doing some, some of our singles events with you guys and so i'm excited about that stuff coming you know once we get freed up a little bit but i would say that it takes minimum two years to even really start really rolling i mean like right now if a venue opened right now i mean they wouldn't be actually hosting any weddings or events for at least six months to 12 months out yeah, from, absolutely. from right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, very rarely do people, even in my role as an officiant, I mean, I will get calls and people saying, oh my gosh, we're getting married, you know, in, in a month. Can you do it or whatever? But they, the, the venue's already been booked. Oh yeah. For, I'm mentally, for a bit. I'm mentally, as far as work goes, I'm already mentally in January, 2022 right now. We just, yeah. we work, we work in a whole different kind of mindset and scope as far as as where we're looking ahead i mean we've we've more or less chalked up 2021 to a wash at this point and we you know we're really kind of looking ahead always a year a year or more sure well let's let's get into to a couple things that i think because i'm i'm gonna i want to share this with a lot of our our wedding vendor friends because i know it's this is a lot of conversations that have been going on with uh, people within the business. So what, what would you say have been the top challenges of the 2020 COVID era, our era um, for, for you guys as a, as a venue? Um, I think some of our biggest challenges that we, you know, faced right off the bat, obviously, um, you know, figuring out the balance between Especially, and this we're talking early on when the quarantine kind of started shutting stuff down. You know, mid March, um, you know, through through June, we were really obviously we had some booked during that time frame, and obviously we can't do anything about it. But trying to figure out with clients where they can safely plan ahead and also still remain enthusiastic about what's coming up right so like we had a bunch of a bunch of clients back in april for instance that we were you know planning to get married obviously back in mid-march and we all got shut down we were getting phone calls already of like oh my god what do i do and we really didn't have a time frame we didn't have a time frame as far as government officials as far as national you know news coverage we didn't know how long this was going to last and you know, very quickly through the summer, we started to kind of realize that nobody really knows. And we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. So while we're trying to obviously try to retain as much income as we could as a venue in 2020, 
we also had to recognize very quickly that we can't bank on this changing anytime soon. So we started really pushing events into 2021 as a new venue. We really didn't have um, too much standing in our way. It was already booked for 2021 so early in 2020, right. right? So we were really able to start pushing clients. Well, the further into quarantine that we got, the more months of 2020 that we were having to push to 2021. And fast forward to, you know, as recently as late October, early November, we're still having to push events into 2021, there's nowhere to push them. So I think one of, yeah. one of the biggest challenges of the venue that we're facing is not only missing out on income and more or less, part of my friends, being completely fucked for 2021 yeah. as, as far as what we're going to be able to make. And now we're we're starting to lose out on money in 2022 already. And it's interesting, and, yeah. I, and I think I touched on this with you earlier, it's really kind of we're all in this together in this wedding industry and like we're, we're all facing and we're all trying to make it work and we're all trying to keep the same clients happy right and the vendor the venue <laughs> still has the same client with a caterer and with a dj and a photographer and we're all trying to make it work and we're all trying to move these events right now in time days where all of us can still accommodate those particular individuals but it's right not to say that like my problems are worse than your problems but as Oh, sure. It's almost harder for us because we are one of the few categories of the industry, the event industry that are only able to have one event at a time. We, you know, lots of photographers and second shooters or assistants, lots of DJs, you know, work under one company umbrella and are able to do multiple events a day. You as a wedding officiant, you know, as long as timing allows, you're able to hop from one venue to the next, you're able to do multiple weddings. Okay? Right. Like we can't do that. And so we're, we're kind of learning pretty quickly that you were kind of isolated as a venue we, we really were having to take the biggest hit, I think, as far as, you know, planning ahead and, and being able to recoup any income whatsoever. And, and that's not to say that we've had to cancel every single event in 2020. Oh, sure. Has that sure. happened, but we're really, we're really scraping by <laughs> to, to, to stay in, stay in the black, you know, as every month continues on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's been, so that's one of the, you know, scheduling is a challenge. Uh, the uncertainty is a challenge. I actually had several weddings that moved from March of 2020 and they moved to November of 2020 and to have some of those then now are getting pushed back again, you know, and the challenge for us as vendors, and this is, you know, it's a challenge for everybody. I I literally can sympathize with a couple. I can sympathize yeah, I can. Every other vendor, everybody, we're, like you said, we're in this together. It sucks for everybody, and not just the vendors. Like it sucks for everybody. Um, but the the challenge for those of us as vendors is, you know, I'm now basically doing for the price of one wedding, doing two or three. Yeah weddings, and people say, well, yeah, but it got canceled. Well, yeah, but it went to a date in the future that I would have booked another new wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And And nine times out of 10, if you 
set yourself up for any kind of success long term, you're going to be requiring, you know, 50% of your fee up front during booking. And you might get 50%, you know, have it scheduled 50% of the rest of the fee, you know, 90 days out or on the day of the event or whatever. But you're, you're missing, like you said, almost half of your income. And you're, you're still having to do the work down the road when there's no way, no other way to make any income. So right. having to stretch 2020 through a year or more <laughs> worth of, worth of time. And it, you want to talk about an industry that has been really kind of cast aside as far as this whole quarantine experience has, has gone through i i feel like there's a lot of conversation all the time about the service industry and oh support you know your service industry friends and all of that like we're, we're dying and, and in so many ways we are part of the, industry, the service industry but at the same time we're a very small percentage of kansas city residents who are all entrepreneurs you know there's so many right. people in this industry as whole that are small businesses that are, you know, self-reliant, that on a daily basis, they, they're hundred percent self-sufficient, but at the same time, we're still in that small business category. And, it, and it's really difficult to be able to continue to support, you know, our fellow, our fellow event industry friends, whenever we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's no real way that you can offer your services and alter, you know, your packages or your products to be able to be a, you know, be able to continue during this time. And, and I have so many, we, Penny, we both know so many companies that are getting so incredibly creative with what they're doing in the meantime in order to make money to like survive. And I, was, I can't right. remember off the top of my head, which photographer it is. And if you're listening, I'm so sorry, but I saw the other day that one of our industry photographer friends started doing um like downloading like digital downloading of family photo albums and they are they were marketing like hey like this is the season we're all inside we're all with our families like by the box full i can go ahead and digitally copy all of your you know paper photos your in your family album and like turn them into a digital album so, Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's so awesome because obviously during COVID, it's not like very many people are wanting to meet up for little mini sessions or holiday sessions or whatever. And weddings aren't right. necessarily a hot button topic. So, yeah, like that, that was just one of the, a small example of like a super creative thing that like we're just having to adjust and having to simulate like this new world we're in. And like props to them. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. Um, yeah, or like Kyle Lewis with River Photography. I mean, he does amazing right. work, and him and his wife have such a broad portfolio of just wonderful projects that they've worked on. But he started selling prints of his Kansas City skylines and like his, you know, drone shots that are incredible that like showcase Kansas City in like a whole new way I've never seen before. But like that's how that's just like one example of what they're trying to do as a small business to kind of keep on, keep on keeping on, you know? Sure. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I picked up photography yeah, <laughs> and, and started doing photography, um, as 
hobby slash um, little extra way to to have a backup to income. You know, whenever you have to move. See, I I'm mumbling because I'm thinking. So I don't I don't do fifty percent down. But but when you said that, I'm like, man, I should though mm-hmm. because I just do a hundred dollars down, just just as like a little reserve. Well. You know, the challenge is I do all my booking in December, January, February, March. So that's, you know, I'm getting a hundred dollars per wedding during that time. And then, you know, the real money, cause the balance is due at the rehearsal. So then my money starts coming in and at the end of March and then into April, May and through that, right. you know, that time frame. So, you know, for me, COVID was, it was super <laughs> challenging because literally I was just coming into, okay, I've booked all these weddings and in the next week or two is when I start doing the weddings and the balances are going to be paid. And, and that's where the money really starts you know, rolling in. For I me. feel like that with so and, many people in this industry. Cause I feel like so many, you know, we kind of went through this skinny, the skinny months or our off season, like our quarter one, those, yeah. those months where we're just not doing much. And then as soon as we were all looking forward to ooh, that spring, that springtime money. <laughs> yep. Here, here, it come. here comes all the Everyone one. get ready. Yeah. And it didn't happen. <laughs> and I just feel like, yeah, as, as far <laughs> as like looking ahead, it's like, how do you, how do we, any of us really kind of prepare for that as, as business owners? And I mean, obviously I don't own the venue, but I definitely have a sense of, a sense of responsibility and a sense of identity to it already, you know, during a lot of, you know, well, of course, and yeah. as you should, I mean, that, I would say, wow, sorry if that's loud, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm cooking my veggies and that got a little loud, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, it, <laughs> I think a lot of people live, uh, pretty close, not check to check maybe, but they live not too far off that. And, and even as, as a, uh, a business owner, I, I, I know a lot of businesses that say, Hey, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're new within the last couple of years. So we've taken all of our profits, so to speak, right. we put it right back into marketing and, and growing and, and all that. So, you know, sometimes a business can take up to five years before it's ever even really profitable. Yeah. So, so all that to say is that, you know, a lot of us, I didn't, it didn't have six months of, of income set aside for a dry, a dry well, spell. You know, in fact, we had, in fact, like for me, I set aside three months. And so, that's what Dave, I mean, that's December, what Dave January, that's February. What Ramsey <laughs> always, you know, preaches is you always need to have three months of emergency squirrel fund stashed away. And we, yep. we, yeah. We did. We and then, within, <laughs> before we even left our houses yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 It definitely uh, caught us all by surprise because yeah, I had um, it's everybody gears up in the wedding industry. We're all gearing up in March going, here we go. It's getting ready to start. This is it. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it definitely was a, this is it. <laughs> here we go. Here yeah. we go. Uh, the best year ever, 2020. Woo! Um, I don't know how you, and this might be for some of the venues or some of the, the vendors out there. I'm, I'm curious what you guys did 
you know, some of the solutions. So we talked about the problem, one of the problems that you faced um, during the COVID. I know for me, one of the ideas that I would like to say it was original with me, I think, I think someone else actually thought of it and I just took it from them. But I had couples go ahead and pay the balance at the original agreed upon time. So if their wedding was March 31st, but we pushed it to October 31st because of the COVID lockdown, I said, hey, March 31st is when it was originally scheduled. I need to go ahead and pay the balance in full then and not push it back to October. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So thankfully, and here's how I worded it, and here's how I, I, one, justified it and also sold it was, hey, there's no additional charge to reschedule. You know, this is something that's new to all of us. And so just want you to know, don't worry about it. Because a lot of brides would call me and say, um, hey, you know, are we going to have to pay extra for picking another date now? Or, you know, a lot of them were very yeah. concerned about that. And so I thought, Ooh, I'm going to, I need to, you know, you capitalize on that and, and sell the paying the balance in full by saying, Hey, we'll, we'll reschedule it. No problem. No charge. It's not, a, not an issue. We'll take care of it, which gave them a sense of relief. And they were already scheduled to pay the balance in full yeah. anyway. So it didn't seem to be a stretch. I didn't have anybody get upset. Not, not one person got upset and said anything other than, Oh, that's great. No, we'll definitely, no problem. We'd love to do that. I mean, they were well, eager that's, to even that's do an it. Interesting, so. That's an interesting approach to it. And I hadn't even, from a venue standpoint, I hadn't even thought about it that way because a lot of times we felt like, let's, let's, for instance, we're going to talk about Susie and Joe that I just dealt with this morning when I was talking to you on the phone. <laughs> and so, yes, <laughs> Susie and Joe originally booked their, wedding date back in 2018. So we had just opened, right? And we are trying to remain um, very competitive as far as, you know, rental rates. And we're in the crossroads district. So hello, we're surrounded by just a dozen gorgeous, cute little, you know, unique venues surrounding us from all corners. But we obviously wanted to stay competitive. We were obviously trying to fill our calendar. And we sold Bobby and Joe's wedding for $5,000 on a Saturday. They were going to be getting married in January. Well, the original date was going to be July of 2020. So they were already booking like well before, like well more than a year out. So, um, you know, we book it. Everything happens. Everything goes to hell. They kind of, they reached out to us around, um, I want to say it was around like May and they're like, yo, I don't know about this. You know, what, what are our options? And at the time we told them, of course, we're not going to abide by any of our, you know, transfer date policies and our contracts or anything like that, like COVID. COVID is like more of a reason than, oh, we want to go take a family vacation and don't want to get married on this date. We want to move it. Right. So Right. their date and their new date was going to be December 12th of this year. So <laughs> Bobby and Joe can like finally take a breath back in July and be like, okay, surely this shit is going to be over by December and we're going to be able to host our wedding. No problem. <laughs> fast forward, <laughs> fast forward uh-huh. to November 20, 21st 
um, we get the new orders in place in Kansas City, and all of a sudden, no, your date's not safe December 12th. But we do have this fancy new mitigation plan that we can file with the health department and hopefully get it approved and hopefully continue to have your date. So, you know, we, we start going through that whole process. Their wedding coordinator, bless her heart, was on the whole process with us, pulling yards. It comes down to they were going to have to jump through so many hoops and change so many aspects about the wedding to be able to have it. They don't want to do it anymore. They want to move their date again. So for the second time. So, so now we're talking 50%. So we're talking $2,500 back in 2018 to reserve this date. We get to the original date. Don't get the rest of the money. We change it further into the year. Still don't get that money. Now they're wanting to book their wedding in November 27th of 2021. So now we're talking almost... <laughs> Two years later from the date that they originally booked with us. So as a venue, and as as any vendor, I'm sure, that's dealing with this particular couple, you're getting money at the time. You you put it in place. You have the staffing. You have all the things kind of in the works of, of what you're going to do to be able to make this happen for this client. And then you're getting two years down the line. And you get to the point where at what point does COVID no longer excuse the situation and prevent you as a business from making money. So, you know, the first time we moved it, of course, it was out of our control. Things weren't even fully back open up yet before we had to move their date, you know? So it was just kind of a weird time. We're pretty much all over that shit sure. right now. Like we're, we, <laughs> Uh, starting January, cross our fingers, we'll be able to have events. And maybe it will still be under, you know, the mask mandate and 50% capacity, whatever. But those those kind of requirements that we had earlier this summer and once things were kind of back up and moving, we can do that. But that's, that is no problem for us as a venue to continue on with. No big deal. But right. now we're talking, you're starting to affect our fourth quarter in 2021, and we're going to end up having this date, which it, it's a very popular date. It's the 27th. It's, it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And right now, we're talking right. far enough out that we could easily get a client who is straight off the street, so to speak, who's going to pay us the not only $5,000, but we actually sell that date now since they originally booked. For seventy five hundred, and we have the potential to make seventy five hundred dollars over that twenty five hundred extra dollars. So it, it, you start to come right. into like an ethical and a business kind of debate mentally as a venue. And so we did tell them we're like, you know, you're changing for the second time. We technically, as a venue, are not being stopped from hosting your event. We're just not able to host it in the capacity that you are wanting it, right? Like, we can have your event, but right. 26 square feet per person do, because of the health department. And we can't do buffet. We have to do plated. And, you know, like these weird COVID rules, whatever. So, I mean, we can, we right. can still do it. And we got to the point where we, we decided as a venue we can't keep taking hits as a business and be able to securely tell them that they can have their date in 2021 and 2022 because 
there, there comes a point where the bleeding is just too big that we can't, we can't stop it. We're going to bleed out and we're going to be bleed dry. Right. And unfortunately we're going to be like so many uh, wonderful little venues in Kansas city that have had the sense closed down because of this. And we, we don't want right. to do that to ourselves. Right. We don't want to do that to clients. We don't want to be in that situation. So we have to charge you more. And we had to have that difficult conversation with our clients today and tell them like, we have to charge you the difference. Like, I, and we're not going to strictly change your date, but you are changing from December of 2020 to November of 2021. We're, we're talking the difference between almost off season to prime time season. And I hope to right. high heaven that this stuff is done by then. But, but, you know, we can't, we can't keep banking on, there still being regulations like we have to we have to look forward and so we had to have that difficult conversation and and at the end of it all they weren't happy but they paid it <laughs> they paid it they're getting their wow. event and we are actually going to be able to kind of be in the be in the green zone for for this particular event on that day and it's hard and and I, you can't as a venue, you can't um, bend to every whim and whimper from clients. I'm I'm learning that inherently because obviously we're in hospitality. The last thing we want to do is ever leave anybody with any kind of sour taste in their mouth whatsoever. But at the same time, of course, you have to be confident in your service and your quality and your everything. And you get to a point where you can't be you can't you can't be relaxed on it. You have to be firm in your stance. And I feel like, but yeah, yeah, it has to be a win-win. I mean, if it if it's a win for them and a loss for you, it, yeah, a hundred percent. Ultimately, it's a loss. And on the surface, it might be a win because we might get that one review, or we might get that you know guest experience that their you know their wedding guests might come and knock on our door later that's a whole lot of theoretical fucking wins for us sure. at the end of the day the only win that a business should be really banking on is the income otherwise you don't have to, you have a pro, you, right, you have profit. a passion like that's you know if, if you don't have a mindset you're not a business you're an enthusiast that's that's not what right. we're in here. Right. That's not what we're doing this for. We're doing this as a business. And and it's really, really fucking hard at this time of this time of life because we are in such a um, a emotionally driven industry and every sales interaction is an emotional purchase for our clients. You know, same with you, Timmy, being right. efficient. Like you you are selling a service, but it is such an emotionally driven service. It is one of the most important days in these people's lives. You're, you know, you're a part of a very intimate event that's happening to them. But at the end of the day, you're still just a business. You're still, you, you can't bend over right. backwards when they're not doing anything for you at the end of the day. I'll bend over, I'll bend over backwards if you pay well, yeah, me to I mean, bend over backwards. Yeah. But if they're not paying you, I'm not going to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I think the reality is, I mean, it, it goes back to the whole, the principle of, of business anyway. I mean, business is, it, yeah, it, it's about profit. Now, 
again, you want to provide something good and it wants a win-win, but the, you know, it's a total loss. If it's a win for the client and a loss for the business, well, it is a loss because the business can't make it and will go under. And then it's like, how many, how many couples have been affected then? Right. I mean, now getting into the future, you know, if you're, if you're a venue and you're doing 40 weddings a year or however many, um, you know, you go out of business, that's 40 couples that weren't served 100%, by. A hundred percent. And you know what? I'm actually going to add that to my, my quote board at work is like, if, if you're, if you are in the red, then you are not thinking like a business. You're thinking like an enthusiast because you, you are putting, you are putting the wrong priorities ahead of the bottom line. And, and that sounds, that sounds so cold. And like, I I recognize that, but I, if anybody else is in the industry listening to this, then they, they can resonate on that with the level because like I said, at the beginning of all of this, we, we were bending over backwards. We were, we were trashing our own contracts in order to make things happen for our clients. We get to a point where you just you can't keep doing that. And, and these regulations, I think the, the second part of this, this problem as, as a venue right now is that these regulations don't really have a rhyme or reason or a pattern to them. I mean, like you don't, you really, really don't know. We don't have an end goal here as far as when this is not going to be an issue anymore. And and as soon as we were really getting into our groove and feeling like we were getting our mojo back and, and our venue was filling with people and noise and, and everything, it got shut back down again. And it just, we as a venue yeah. have made every goddamn precaution that we possibly can to keep everybody that is in our venue safe and happy and healthy. And we have not had, thank God, like knock on wood, we haven't had COVID outbreaks with staff. We haven't had any kind of reports from clients saying that there were COVID outbreaks with their guests. We haven't had, you know, the health department making any kind of threats or making any kind of reports for you know, improper sanitation or precautions being made as a venue, we have been so much more diligent than has been required of us. And it's just, it's exhausting at the end of the day. I'm getting on my like soapbox here, but like, it's just, it's exhausting. Great. <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah. this all of a sudden turns into a therapy session. Okay, Jessica, tell me how it <laughs> makes you feel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's been a, it's been, it really has. It's been a, um, a fascinating uh, experience. So let's let's spin this to the positive because I'm curious. And you <laughs> and I've actually never talked about this, but what has been outside of the wedding portion of this? How has uh, quarantine, lockdown, you know, distancing, how has it, uh, benefited or has there, have you learned anything during this time? Have you, you know, yeah. picked up a new hobby or started yeah. a new book? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like what so many people talk about the bad, which there is, I mean, I, I could regale sure. you for hours of all the shit that I had to deal with too. Um, and, and I think we all can share in that, but then I've also talked to a lot of people that have been like, Oh my gosh, Lockdown has been one of the best things for me. I realized I hate my job and I'm going to do something else and I'm going to start this yeah. or I'm going to do that or 
Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, they launched something new in their life. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier because I feel like I really didn't have an answer to that question until the last couple months. Um, I, I think at the beginning of the year and especially more importantly, the beginning of this quarantine, I was, I had been in a really messy divorce with my last venue that I was a part of. And I was at the time working at a restaurant, just like picking up shifts. I mean, I wasn't really hurting for money yet, but I was, you know, I had this kind of backup side gig while I was looking for the next, the next thing, the next venue, the next project I was going to get in on, you know, whatever. And then all of this kind of happened right. and I had this serious sense of identity crisis kind of pour in on me. And I think that one of the biggest yeah. takeaways from this year for myself personally is how much I identified myself with my work. And I always looked at that as a positive, as like this beaming light, this awesome quality about myself is that I was so, uh, I was a workaholic <laughs> and I, I, I just, I was so passionate yeah. about everything that I did as far as my work was concerned. And in so many ways, I still see positives in that, but I realized that while I was at the venue I was at, I was working so much and consumed by everything that, you know, is a part of that, the networking, the events, the galas, the nonprofits I was involved in. And I really did not focus any time to work on myself. And and we, we make we make jokes about self-care, like, oh, that self-care is, you know, an extra beer and an order of fries with the dinner when you shouldn't have had fries. And and you know, like self-care is like, oh, we're going to stay in bed all day today and watch Netflix. But I'm talking about self-care in the sense of like really working on what makes you you, what your real beliefs are, what are your core values, what are your core morals. And if anything else, the current environment that we have lived in for the last almost year has really forced, I think all of us, but especially myself, to really recognize what is important to me and who is important to me. I have, you know, aside from like this divorce of sense that I was going through with the career side, I think that more than anything, I was, I was started to realize what I really admire in people and what I want to surround myself with and what I was surrounding myself with that was more or less detrimental to me. I was drinking too much. I was, my sleep cycle was all fucked up. I wasn't really working out or taking care of myself at all. And, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing I wanted to do was take a makeup wipe to my face and fall into bed with my clothes on and just <laughs> collapse in, in, in bed. And now I, I've become a lot yeah. more self-aware and obviously a lot of self-work to work on, but I have more of a purpose and a grounding in who I am as a person. I mean, as far as like hobbies and like surface things, I really more or less was able to pick up the stuff I've always been interested in and I've always done and kind of have time to work on it more. But even during quarantine, I was still working at the restaurant. So I didn't really, I never had like truly, you know, weeks on end where I didn't have to do anything. I always had kind of structure and I think that was oh. good for me because otherwise I don't know that I would come out of this as as mentally 
physically exercised and, and healthy <laughs> as I feel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah. think that's that was the biggest takeaway I have at the new year. And I think also I kind of started seeing a therapist and via Zoom, of course, gotta stay safe. But I, I really feel like that was something that I needed for a long time. And hardly, I always had excuses, whether it was time yeah. commitments, whether it was money, whether it was, you know, I just wasn't ready. I kept telling myself, I don't really have anything to talk about. Like, where would I start? How would this process go? You know, and it just uh, never mind any of that. I think right. now I just don't have as much excuse for myself. about it. don't have as much distraction in life. So <laughs> really propelled me to, to just make, yeah. them, make the fucking moves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a good time for, uh, for me as well to, to turn inward and to really, you know, self-reflect and to journal more and, and, um, you know, turn, not be so distracted with other things and be able to kind of focus on yeah. my own soul. And I don't know, and, I don't uh, know about you, yeah. but I and think, I um, Another another thing that I kind of realized is I'm not somebody who can really maybe maybe I'll get there at some point, but I'm not there now. I'm not somebody who can really get a lot out of meditation from like what I'm wanting out of meditation. I can't sit still and just reach inwardly and really reflect on anything. I can sit still and think about nothing, but that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't. It doesn't stimulate any kind of awakening or revelation or realization in me. Meditation is just not my jam. That's not, that's not where I'm at on a level right now, but I have really jumped into reading and listening to podcasts and having discussions with people that are so much more quality than what I feel like I was having before. I mean, I've really cut back and went almost all of November without drinking at all. But I, I feel like now I'm more willing and more open to having more meaningful conversations with people. And I think that's one of the things that I really yeah. enjoy about our time and our conversations together is that there's just, there's more depth to it now. I feel like every interaction I have with people is just more meaningful these days. And that's something that is just invaluable. Yeah. And I, help, I hope that, you know, once, there's more opportunity to do that with our world, but that, that won't change. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's no, no doubt. I think a lot of the friendships and relationships that I have, mm-hmm. they, they're just deeper um, and yeah, more profound and better conversations and which I love conversations. Yeah. I mean, hence the reason, you know, this podcast, which I started during, it's a, during it's, the, it's, the it's a version of meditation. And, I think that uh, just matches the two of our personalities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, for, for me, even a walk through the woods, I mean, I, I was, uh, went to Florida last week and, getting up early in the morning to, to, uh, you know, start the coffee and then walk out and bring my camera and take pictures of the sunrise literally every day, every morning I did that. And then every night I went out and saw the the sunset. And for me, 
though it wasn't quote unquote silence meditation, yeah. it was no, very I'm meditative so for me. On that because <laughs> very, I always very therapeutic. Anytime that I've ever like growing up or like living on my own, living in the city, especially seeing couples in in the crack of dawn, and the only reason I'm up is because my dog is scratching on the door. Um, like walking in the morning, I always looked at that. Oh, that's the last thing I want to do is be out here. Like I wouldn't willingly come out here, but since this quarantine's happened, I've really, I've reveled in that time where I get up before I have to, before I have to answer emails or talk to anybody and I can put my headphones in and whether I'm listening to music or a true crime podcast or a self-improvement podcast, I'm, I'm out there walking and me and my dog, I was yeah. just looking at my like, um, Apple health stats today. And like, we've been walking. I mean, the two of me and my little, me and my little baby dog, we're walking like five miles every day. And, and there's just this like <laughs> sense of calmness and like contentment and just the, the charge that I need to like move about my day and at no point feel overwhelmed or stressed out or exhausted you know, like I'm going to bed now, not necessarily because I'm tired, but because I know I have to wake up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. Like it's time to go to bed. And and it's just, it's done so right. much good for my life. And, and whether you're a morning person or not, yeah. like if you just wake up that two hours earlier and you give yourself that time, I think that's just so invaluable. And I can't believe I was living my life any other way beforehand because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's neat to hear you say that. I, I, I'm the same way. I, I, of course, I've always been an early bird and, and I'm not, I'm not a night owl. I usually like to yeah. get in bed between 10 and midnight. I mean, it, uh, sometimes I'll stay up later depending on if I'm watching a good movie or something, but typically between 10 and midnight, I like to go to bed. It doesn't matter if it's 10 or midnight, yeah. I'm still getting up yeah. anywhere between 4 and 6 a.m. So that I can get up and there's, I don't feel one, I don't have any appointments to start until later. So that helps. Uh, but I also just kind of have this rule that when I get up, I turn on some light, smooth jazz or mm -hmm. do a meditation or an affirmation or something that plays positive while I'm maybe making the coffee, but I refuse to, you know, check my phone or check my computer. I, like, it's like, nope. I am not doing that until, and I have a start time in my mind. So I wake up at four or five or six or whatever. Well, I'm not looking at anything until 10, not anything till 10 a.m. Nothing yeah. needs to be addressed before 10 a.m. You know, for me, for my, for my world, I'm like, nope, I don't need to respond or do anything until 10 a.m. And so I get that whole time, depending on when I wake up, just to, just to have it. whatever, yeah. you know, listen, listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I do a lot of what you do. I'll not true crime, but I will listen to a podcast or two uh, before my day starts. And then by the end of yeah. the day, I've listened to, you know, three or four podcasts because I use all my drive time. I'm not, I love music and I, I get, you know, ebb and flow. Sometimes I just want music and I don't want anybody talking. Um, but I just kind of follow whatever I feel. And so a lot of the time, most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Podcast, and, podcast, and you're not, podcast. you just don't feel a sense of rushed, a sense of constantly rushing to get something done or to answer that email quickly. Like if at no other point in your life, if you truly can't alter, you know, so many 
variables in your life, at least for that amount of time, you're not a bo- you're not being bothered. You're just you're, you're just living in yourself, and yeah. eventually, we're going to come out of this black fog that we're under. And we're going to have to kind of slowly integrate all of these temptations or just life happenings coming back into our life. And I think that everybody could benefit right now from establishing a good routine that will allow them to integrate these things back into their life, but also let them hold on to that like awesome blessing that we've had during this time. And that is uninterrupted time for reflection, for working through conflicts and problems in your lives without distraction or influence from other people. Um, and just having like this overall sense of well-being. And if we can start that, if we can create that in our own routines, however yeah. it fits before everything else in a daily, in a daily world, then you just, we're just setting ourselves up for success throughout the rest of the day. <laughs> and, and I've never, I've always rolled my eyes at, yeah morning people preaching the good word of how how beneficial it is to wake up in the morning but damn i <laughs> i, I this yeah. is a testimony timmy like this is <laughs> this is yeah this has been this has been yeah. one of maybe the biggest change in my life this year yeah yeah and it's a good one i mean uh, you know i've i've always just Again, it's just a part of my wiring, I guess. But if I wake up and the sun has been up for a while, it, it, I just feel like I've mm-hmm. wasted the day. <laughs> and, you know, when people are like, oh, I sleep in till, till <laughs> almost lunchtime. I'm like, what? You know, and, and again, I try not to be judgmental yeah. about it because it just is what it is. It depends on what they do and their own rhythms and whatever. I mean, I get it. It is what it is. But um, you know, just that the observation of it going, oh my gosh, I just couldn't do that. It's like sleeping in for me. If it's seven or eight o'clock, I have slept in big time. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of benefits in waking up early, I think. So, okay, let's, let's switch gears a little bit because, uh, kind of the subtitle of this podcast is escaping religion and finding faith. And it, it really yeah. was a, something I started during, you know, this COVID thing as a, as a way to almost like a, just an audio, an, uh, 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 audio journal. Yeah. An audio journal, um, where I'm just talking and having conversations with people, um, about things that I personally have journeyed through and you and I have talked before, um, just about kind of your background uh, with religion and kind of where you are now. So yeah, so I was was raised Catholic. I'm, I'm Mexican and Catholic and all of the stereotypes that come with both of those (laughs) those people. Um, But I, you know, I grew up in, attended Catholic school um, in Blue Springs until middle school. And I was given the option as the oldest child, the only girl, um, to decide if I wanted to move, continue to be in Catholic school. And the Catholic school I went to stopped at high school. So at that point, um, it was kind of the plan, since we lived so far out in the suburbs, that I would attend a public high school. But in high school, 
at the end of fifth grade, I clearly was getting into trouble. I was testing, testing the waters of my faith already as a young kid and obviously going to a Catholic school and, you know, being 10, 11 years old, like questioning my teachers about, you know, our, our, our lessons. It was clear to my family that I wasn't, I wasn't down with this. Like I wasn't, I wasn't buying into the hype. And um, <laughs> I was given the option of moving to a middle school, a public middle school, and of course, immediately jumped on it. And my family was really adamant, and I love them to death. Great, I, I had a great upbringing, but it was made very clear to me that Jessica, you're gonna, you're gonna struggle. Like this is not gonna be easy. Like these kids, these kids are wild, unruly, you know, weeds, and you have grown up in a well-tended garden, and, you know, you, these these kids aren't going to think the same way you do, they're not going to have the same values, you're going to you're gonna learn a lot about family dynamics that you've never, you know, witnessed yourself, and I think my mom was especially weary for me going into the public school world, Going into the real world because Go, going I, was, into the real world. I was a impressionable little kid and I always, I had a bleeding heart for the underdogs and really befriended those like weird kids, or poor kids or the, you know, kids that clearly had, you know, home life issues or whatever. And so seeing me kind of transition into a public middle school, I think she was really concerned with like who I would latch on to in regards to finding another kid that had the same upbringing as I did. And, you know, that, that kind of ties into the religion aspect um, because as soon as I recognized and heard her words and got to middle school and guess what? I didn't like burst into flames or get convinced to join a cult on my first day. I quickly internalized this like fear of what is not familiar with religion as well. And that idea and that mindset continued to be reinforced in me as I continued to have to go to CCD classes at my church on Wednesday nights. And as I continued to have to go through confirmation class and, you know, just have to continue to, to be a part of this church that I more or less wrote off at the age of 11 when I decided that I didn't want to be at that church anymore. I didn't want to be at the school, I didn't want to be at the church, didn't want to be in the extracurriculars that were a part yeah. of it. I had no interest in it. And as I got older into high school, my parents never let me attend um, church services that weren't Catholic church services. Like if I had friends that, um, yeah, they, they weren't about it. They were like, you, wow. you're young, you're impressionable. Um, we don't want these people at these congregations to, to influence you or to pressure you into anything. So like, we just, we don't want you to go. And I, I think I had this conversation with you, um, once upon a time, but one of our mutual friends, um, Spencer, (laughs) I ended up going to a youth, like a youth group whatever at his church like I think we were juniors in high school so because he was driving at that time so I like with him and his his buddies that also went to our school that went to the same church and it was like one of the coolest experiences that I had ever been a part of because it was like this group of the same age as me like hanging out and you know yeah we were talking about 
you know, the Bible or like whatever the, the topic of discussion was that night, but it wasn't like we were, we were strictly reading out of like hymn books or it wasn't like we were confessing sins, like in any of the things that I had grown up with in my church, none of that was happening, but I still left feeling like I got yeah. something out of it. And that really reinforced right. my belief that like I did not identify as a Catholic anymore. And I, I couldn't tell my parents that I had gone with them cause I wasn't supposed to, but like the, I really hung on to that, that experience and the feeling more than anything that I left feeling that day. And, um, you know, I, I refused, my parents made me go through the confirmation classes, but then I was given the opportunity to either get confirmed or not. And I didn't. Um, so, you know, at that moment, as far as like the progression of claiming Catholicism as your religion, it stopped. It came to a halt at that point, because at that point in your life, the Catholic church believes that your confirmation is more or less you as a young person confirming your belief in Jesus Christ and your belief in the church and all of that. And, and I didn't, I was not to do that. So, you know, from there on, I, I dabbled quite a bit in other churches, other congregations. I, you know, obviously went off to college. I moved to a variety of places after college and, and wound up back in Kansas city and, and I would try, I would come into these, these phases in my life where I felt lost or I felt like something was missing. And I, I would gravitate towards, you know, a new congregation, whether I heard it from a friend or like I knew somebody that was in it, or I just hadn't tried it yet. And I was like, yeah, let's give it a go. You know, right. but I feel like in the last year or so, I've really kind of put that longing to bed in the sense of just being content with not being a part of an actual congregation and still having my faith, um, you know, planted and, and my faith being right. my faith in humanity. I mean, I feel like if anything, if I had to really categorize where I'm at mentally, as far as my spiritual journey, it would probably be like more with deism and just like this, this blanket, you know, yeah. one, one group consciousness, one, you know, main goal to be a good person and, you, you know, really just kind of taking away a lot of the politics out of it. But I feel like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The dogma and it's been, too. it's definitely been an evolving, a, a subtle evolving belief system, but I think that it's become more grounded now than ever during this time. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. You know, I, I, in my personal journey going from a, a, an evangelical pastor, uh, to, um, being where I'm at now where, you know, I'm not, I'm not an evangelical Christian anymore, uh, but I still value spirituality and and still, uh, you know, appreciate, uh, the stories and the mythologies and whatever that are in the Bible, but also the story of, you know, the things that, uh, that they know or have recorded about Jesus. And uh, Jesus has always been a, a definite, um, oh, inspiration to me uh, of, you know, love your neighbors and do good to those that, you know, like just the, the positive reinforcement yeah, to, and, to be good and, and to do good. Yeah, and there's certainly and, a level uh, of, I think it's it important. goes back to the nature versus nurture argument, right? Like, I mean, 
people will argue until they're blue in the face on either side of whether we are inherently good or if our environment makes us good, right? The the argument of, you know, letting religion yeah. die and eventually seeing long-term effects as in what inherently we identify as as humans. I don't believe, I don't believe that we could ever get to a point in humanity where we are not inherently good. And maybe that's naive of that. And maybe I'm saying that because, you know, I haven't had as much strife or trauma or challenges in my life, whatever. I feel like I've had my fair share, <laughs> but I, I can come out of my experience with the church and my experience with um, bigotry and racism and gender inequality and fundamental um, classism within my church. And there's a lot of really nice, admirable things about the Catholic religion, a lot of traditional things that are are slowly integrated into all kinds of parts of American society that I can recognize as somebody who studied it, you know, for a long portion of my life. But in my yeah, heart of hearts, right. I don't believe that organized religion nowadays does more good than bad. I don't believe that. I, I, I really, I truly don't. And I would love to have a conversation yeah maturely and calmly with anybody who feels the polar opposite because i i just i have not been given the yeah. um the proof and i think that more than anything nowadays yeah. with science and research i think psychology is more of a religion to me now than any religion understanding people and experiences and ways that we communicate with people understanding how that can make a person good or bad or how the traumas of everyday life and the struggles that we as people go through how that makes a person good or bad i think that's almost a more productive study for us as society to invest our time in versus these you know theoretical situations that happened so far before our time. I think that really focusing on the here and now and, and mental health and the human experience and the collective consciousness, I think those are topics that could do so much more good if we had those kind of conversations on our daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. I think with anything that we should always be ever evolving and always, you know, on the move forward. Uh, I read a book actually yeah, one time titled onward and upward. And, um, you know, I think that religion is such an old, such a, such an old, you know, great. It's been a valuable thing, of course, but, um, you know, it's, it's such a, an old and dare I say outdated, you know, I mean, you know, the fact that the Bible supports slavery and the degradation oh, yeah. of women and, and, you know, there's so many things that are, that are, you know, that are in there that it's like, Hey, like we, we need to evolve here. And, and you can't keep looking back to this ancient writing and dictate your, uh, your life in the here and now and the contemporary and, and moving oh, forward. 100%. I mean, going it's... back. 2000 years i feel so. like nowadays if i if i had a child because i've been thinking about this a lot because i do have a lot of family and friends and and close girlfriends and 
that are having children and, and, and not only having children, but now they're getting to the ages of being able to, to understand and are starting to develop their little identities. Um, and, and I've thought about it and I actually had this conversation with my God sister a few days ago. Um, but like, how, how do you teach a child about these fundamental life lessons that we've been shoved down our throats, you know, with religion. And she, she went to the same Catholic school. She grew up in the same Catholic church as me. And, you know, we went through very, very similar situations, but, um, and yeah. she continued through Catholic school through high school. Um, but, and now that I think about it, she went to a Catholic college as well. Um, but, um, she, she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want, I don't want really being in, involved in the church so young, but I also don't ever want to look back and be like, I failed as a parent because I didn't teach these valuable lessons to, to my daughter, you know, as she was growing up. And, and I think that we're at a really interesting shift yeah. in this generation on like how we go about that, how we navigate that. And I think that it being a parent and even considering that and really like not stressing losing sleep over it but really taking it seriously as how do we go about this without just immediately falling into into tradition of what your family did or like how you were raised i think that's a powerful thing because we are you know millennials like i I fall into that millennial category but like millennials are one of the first generations that have grown up with technology and but we also saw the shift into that that era so we kind of had the best of both worlds there for a while and now we have so much information and we have so many opportunities to change what we had as a child and make it better and not necessarily navigate off of a blueprint or a foundation from you know our parents or our grandparents and like we really are the beginning generation of this entirely new shift and how we parent and how we raise children and in that process we're also self-discovering and self-realizing and having these revelations about religion within ourselves and i i really kind of pushed her i was like you know what you need to make a pros and cons list of just like bible stories and like things like life lessons that you've learned in and you literally, it was it worth learning? Okay, we're putting it in the pros column. Was it, you know, detrimental or make me, you know, question, you know, race as somebody being inferior to another person? Okay, put it in the cons column. And really, like, go through that list. And then once you have that pros list, really focus on those lessons and find alternative ways to teach those lessons to your child. Like, you don't have to teach them about Noah's Ark to teach them the importance of, I don't know, like animals and like, you know, the relationship between humans and animals. Now we're going to start taking her to the zoo and we're going to get her a pet hamster and we're going to teach her about, you know, caring for another life that's not hers. And you know, like finding alternative ways to to continue to teach those like good lessons. And at the end of the day, if she gets older and she wants to go to vacation Bible school with her little girlfriend in class, by all means, let her go. But also, you know, prod her brain after every after every day she's there. Sure. Ask her questions. You know, be be interested and not do so in a judgmental way, like my parents did. <laughs> but but actually ask them questions and, and sure. learn about how your child is like 
interpreting these things and, and then, you know, interfere as needed, but that's part of the process, right? I mean, that's part of the process that you're, and as a parent, I feel like in, in doing that, yeah. you also reinforce what you believe and how, and why you believe it. Do you believe it because it's inherently there already? Or do you believe it because you had to go to church every Sunday and, you know, kneel and stand and kneel and whenever you were told to do so by the priest, like, you know, like it's not, Yeah. Yeah. And the religious parents, you know, unfortunately what they feel, they, they almost can feel, especially the ones that are really steeped in, steeped in tradition or religion, they can almost feel like they've failed as a parent if their child doesn't exactly. share their exactly. faith. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like it's a disappointment for them, which is, it, which is baffling to me. Like my kids could literally come to me today and say, Hey dad, yeah. we're atheists. I'd be like, okay. I mean, I still like, I'm not, I'm not disappointed. If you, I know you guys are smart. So you apparently did your research and that's what you've come up with. And like, that's mm-hmm. like, you know, like I'm not going to be, I'm going to be praying for well, you. And I find and, it like, you know, no, I find it so refreshing journey. that you say and, that because, you know, fast forward to still my family, we're fairly close. My two younger brothers, uh, the middle child, there's three of us. So the middle child is just turned, just turned 23, 23. And then my youngest brother, he's born two days after me and he'll soon be 22. So 20, 23, 22. And they up until, um, I don't know, probably a year and a half ago, we were both living at my parents' house still. And they were, you know, going through the electrical apprenticeship. They're working under my dad at his company and, you know, just saving money. Like my parents had the room and had the open arms and, you know, why not save money? But one of their stipulations for them to, after they graduated high school, to continue living at their house was that they had to go to church together as a family on Sundays. Well, I haven't gone to church with my family in years, years and years. I can't, I couldn't even remember the last time that I went with them as a family to church, but on like midnight mass, um, you know, if I've been in town over the years and my brothers or my aunts or my cousins are going, like, I'll go with them because midnight mass at Kansas City Cathedral is like the most Christmas spirit that you could possibly get, you know, nowadays, like the choir and the decorations and the Christmas songs and it's just a beautiful, beautiful little experience, right? But they they were forced to to go to church, and, and it's a small it's a small requirement that my parents had, you know, of them living under their roof, whatever. But it just reinforced this idea that like right. you had, in order to remain a good person, you had to do this thing, you had to do this event, you had to attend this building at this time and say these words and and I'm sure people's experiences that aren't Catholic are much different as far as like their Sunday service but ours is just the Catholic church is just so robotic and it's so traditionally grounded but as a person as a free thinker you can't help but question why why am I saying these words why am I doing this thing why is every you know service every mass every weekend go in the same order why on the same day of the calendar year is the sermon the exact same 
Why is right, the scripture right. reading the exact same on every calendar date every year? You know what I mean? Like, what? Why? Why is that necessary? Why are we doing this? Like, none of this shit has anything yeah. to do with the current climate and the bullshit that we all just have been living through in this presidential election and this race, this race war that we're under and this oppression that we're as women and as minorities. And like, why aren't we talking about that shit? And my brothers, as a consequence, I feel like are very right. close-minded and very unable to articulate any belief other than what is preached at these services and what these people that they're surrounded with that also attend these services have in common. Like, I, I mean, my brothers are young, granted, like they're still, you know, developing a lot of things too. But I feel like by my, by that age, I was, I was much more open to, to ideas and viewpoints that I just don't see them being open up to. And, and at the end of the day, we had the same upbringing. We grew up in the same house. Um, you know, my, maybe my disciplinary practices from yeah. my parents were different with me versus, you know, my brothers. I was the oldest. I was the guinea pig. I was the only daughter, you know, whatever. But like at the end of the day, like we, we had the same upbringing, <laughs> but yeah. it's just really interesting to me because at the end of the day, that is one common denominator that is, that is very obviously speaking out at me. And they, they never quite they never questioned it. They never yeah. like ever rebelled against their schooling, their Catholic school schooling. They never rebelled against their confirmation classes. They never, you know, ran out of their classroom in CCD class crying because their teacher told them to shut the hell up because they were questioning why Moby Dick couldn't in no way, shape or form physically happen. <laughs> like, you know, like just, <laughs> there's so many things that, that just went in a different direction. Right. And I, I just, you get to a point where as an adult, you start to distance yourself because you cherish your independence and your free thinking ways so much that you just, you don't want to associate with that. Like you, you almost yeah. put that part of your life to bed and in the process, put those people that are still strongly holding on to it to bed. And you know, there's, there's many reasons why I may not be as close with my family as yeah. I once was, but I feel like that's a really big part of it. I, I really do. And, and coming into this climate today and just the things that we've yeah. experienced in the last year, two years as a society, I think that social issues and morality issues and ethical issues are more at the forefront of our minds now than ever before. And I just don't, I don't see how um, being Absolutely. heavily involved on a daily basis to to a church or to your religious identity can really give you the room and the freedom to create your own judgments about these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. So, okay, I'm throw, throwing this conversation into reverse uh, after being on the highway on overdrive to talk about <laughs> aliens and UFOs. So I'm sure, because I think you've mentioned listening to uh, podcasts and even Joe Rogan. And so, you know, the government has come out and has, you know, admitted to uh, unidentified flying objects that, you know, they 
that that they were not they're not scams you know they're real and they can't explain it and they've admitted this now finally and of course i think people were really thinking hey like, no we're not we're not gonna tell you shit roswell (laughs) (laughs) so so i guess my question is this do you think there is i feel like do you have you ever looked into metaphysics like have you ever kind of learned anything about metaphysic metaphysics i'm sorry you know alternative universes and and how we're all connected and like this abstract concept and it's almost it's almost so much to process that like we can't (laughs) you know Peter's on like the the line of there's no way in hell I can even have a conversation about this versus I am so enthralled about it um but yeah I 100% do and I I really think that there's there's not only aliens so to speak but I think that there's there's societies out there that like are much more advanced than us and have been for an unmeasurable amount of time. And we, we are in a very prehistoric age as a planet and, and as our developing humanity. Um, But I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't even really want to, I don't think that we're ready. I don't think we're ready to, to even grasp that concept. We we're fighting right now over. Exactly. Like we're, we're over here trying to grasp the idea of how to (laughs) properly recycle. Like, like not not ready for that. There's no way that like we as a planet (laughs) can accept such a abstract thought as aliens or alternative universes. But one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite movies of all time is Interstellar. And the way that they explain alternative universes and how everybody coincides together. And like we all have on the abstract, non-visual way to communicate and to connect all of these worlds together. It's so beautiful and it's so, it's such a, a mind fuck when you watch it for the first time. You almost have to watch it three or four times to really Uh huh. Yes, exactly. And it's such a. Yeah, the bookshelf a, scene. My it's such scene. a beautiful yeah. representation of what we just don't know and what could very possibly be in existence. And that to me, I just have, I have such a interest in space and in what we as humans know about space and the the universe and you know just like these planets and these the the idea that these things that are so immeasurable that we have like crazy names for measurements you know created created to just kind of help grasp our meeble brains around these concepts that is just such a cool thing to me that I, I love it. I, I love I love right. reading about the latest UFO, you know, extraterrestrial. Like I think that's so fun. I really do. And and people, yeah, people get or, yeah. so like freaked out by it, but I think it's cool. I, yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I think I, I think that 
just the sheer numbers, um, it would be it would be nearly the impossible for there not to be life out there. Of I mean, what the, the, we aren't even numbers. exposed and, to. And, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like you said, it's immeasurable. You know how many planets can support life? Well, it's just immeasurable. But but to add on to that thought, you know, as far as we know, right? Habitable for us. You know, we talk about the green zone and plant. Or you know we're trying to find planets that are hab- uh, hab- uh, habitable, and the the reality is that's for us. Like as humans, that would be something that we could deal with. But what if what if there's an, a, a race or an alien you know an alien race out there that yeah. they don't they don't breathe oxygen they breathe whatever you know something different. Uh, and that was a a thinking. Uh, I listened to a podcast recently. That, and he kind of took it there and I thought, oh, that's a fascinating thought that, you know, we're, yeah. we're looking for planets that that we could survive on. We're limiting ourselves so, so much. And I think we're limiting I think that we it's almost that. that narrative is <laughs> almost know. encouraged because it it's such a it's such an abstract way of thinking about our importance as humans for a mass group of people to come together and, you know, think about together. And it goes back to that, like, group consciousness that we we almost keep it in a category of there's no way that this is all just theoretical. This is all just, you know, enjoyment of, like, philosophical conversation. But in reality, we're, we're getting closer and closer to more measurable more identifiable concepts that it's really not at that point anymore like i mean it it really isn't we're we're realizing that we could you know scientists have announced that they've discovered possibility of life on venus and that's our closest neighboring planet you know like and and we're we're getting to the point now where it's like this common idea that we are looking for possibility of life on other planets so if we're if we're there as a group consciousness, like then you know yeah. that we are actually twenty miles ahead of that and have already, you know, so I, I'm not surprised at all <laughs> by that at all. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the um the what I think what they call the tic tac video of the uh, no, fighter pilot who chased down a UFO, and 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 yeah, they they have the footage of it. And this guy's like a a thirty yeah thirty year thirty years in the Air Force, and so he's you know he's a commander, and this guy's legit. And Joe Rogan interviewed him, um, and yeah. it, it was really really good. It was just a, and you could tell the guy wasn't bullshit, and he, he's not a UFO UFO guy. He's never been a UFO guy. I'm trying to describe what it was that I saw. I'm trying to identify it. You know, I know what happened, you know. Yeah. Well, gosh, you got got me thinking about Interstellar. I need to watch that movie again. It's been a while, so I'm going to have to to look it up and see if I can find it somewhere. But thanks for having a conversation with me. Uh, I think we covered three big, you know, three big areas. One, our industry in general. Um, and then right into, uh, you know, the spiritual, 
the spiritual talk, the religious talk, or whatever, and then ending up. That doesn't doesn't describe who who I am as a person. I don't know. Drop (laughs) drop the (laughs) work belief system, and you know what we like to play around with the idea. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, girl, yes, thanks so you much too. for the conversation, Thank you. and uh, you have a fantastic.